Hi, we're so glad that you found this Peak City message today. Our prayer is that during our time together that you would discover Jesus and be encouraged to follow him fearlessly. We had like 10, 15 people or something give their lives to Jesus in the first service today. People just, God was moving in a crazy way. And so, man, I, uh, I anticipate that it will happen again and again. Um, if you've got a Bible and you want to get there, we're in John chapter 18 and 19 today, the end of 18 and the, end of, uh, and, and, and the beginning of 19. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. You're not like, you know, weird because you don't have a Bible with you. Most, most of y'all are just watching the screen behind me. So I got the verse on the screen for you. Um, but we are preaching through the last 12 hours of the life of Jesus for these next several weeks. And I love it because in a church like ours that's full of new believers, for many of you, this is your first time reading through. Like you've heard Jesus died and you've heard that he was crucified, but you've never really read it for yourself. And so for many of you, this is the first time going through, which is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And, and, and church, we should just celebrate the fact that you know in this room right now around you are people who are engaging with and learning about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for the very first time in their lives. Can you encourage them and just celebrate their journey, celebrate the life? It's beautiful. I got, I got to be honest with you today, though, um, the message that God has, has given me to bring to you guys, um, it's been cooking for a couple weeks. And, uh, and, and for a couple weeks, I have been really struggling to find a clear and compelling, quick little, like, application point for you on this sermon. All right, so, like, you know, like, that's a thing for us here. Uh, we always want to be taking next steps. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, said that blessed is he who doesn't just hear the word but does it. Right? Faith without action is dead. It, it, like, you, 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 I, I know this is kind of hard for you if you're just starting to come to church. You get no credit for just showing up and listening. I'm sorry. <laughs> it really only matters if what we preach results in life change and in your actual life and behavior changing. And so we always want to have like clear, practical next steps for you. But I got to be honest with you, this message today, um, the heart of God that is on display, the, 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 the mind of Jesus that is on display in this, like what he has truly done for us, it is so big and, and, it, and it's so overwhelming that every time I tried to come up with a clear action step, it always felt trite. It always just felt like small. It, 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 didn't, it didn't really like fit the like bigness of what I feel like God wants me to communicate to you. So, so here's how it's going to work today, okay? I'm going to quarterback this thing. I'm going to hike it, and I, I'm going to preach it with everything I got, and I'm going to hand it off to you, and it's up to you and the Holy Spirit to figure out what this means in your life, okay? You got to lean in. You got to do some work with God today because I don't know what's going to happen with it. I, I think with a message like this, you might... You might get to the end of it, and you might fall to your knees in repentance and, and, and grieve over your sin like you've never done before. I, I, I think some of y'all might go, I know you had baptisms last week, but fill the dang tank up because I'm not leaving today before I get baptized. <laughs> I, I think you might say you're sorry to someone that you've needed to for years. I think, I think maybe for the first time today you'll actually love yourself and be kind to yourself in, 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 uh, instead of living in like self-loathing and self-hatred. Like, I don't know, I don't know what it is you're supposed to do, but I know that God wants you to hear it, and he wants you to receive it deep in your heart, and I think he'll tell you what to do with it. So can we partner together today, and, and this not be a one-way street? Let's preach this one together. You in with me? You in with me? Okay. Fantastic. Um, the title of my message today for you from John 18 and 19, it's a very Gen Z phrase, very hip with the times. If you're older and you don't know this phrase, I'm about to educate you and bring you along with the youths of our country. Okay, the title of my message for you today is, <clears throat> You're Him. 
you're him. It's so funny. As soon as I said it, it happened in last service too. All the young people are like, ha, ha, ha. And all the older people are like, huh? You're him. So, so you're him. I'm him. You're him. It's this, it's this phrase that you hear a lot in sports right now, okay? It basically means like you got it. Like you're the one. Like you're the dude. You're the, you're like, you're the girl. Like you've got it. You are, you are like the one. You're him, right? Like right now, I know it's going to be a, a sore spot for some of you after last week's Super Bowl, but you cannot deny it that right now in the NFL, Patrick Mahomes is him, okay? It, he's him. He's unbelievable. He just turns it on at the right time, and uh, it, it's amazing. It, it truly is. Like we are watching greatness um, before our eyes. He's him, right? Um, if you saw this past week in women's college basketball, Caitlin Clark, did you see that she broke the record for single or for um, individual scoring record? And, and what's, what's crazy is she's about to break the record for not just women's but men's. She's only like 100 points off of Pistol Pete Maravich. But what's crazy is she's her, okay? This girl, if you saw the replay this week, she needed eight points to break the record. She scored the first five, comes down the court, says she just needs a three to break the record. Comes down the court in the first quarter, shoots a logo three from nearly half court. Yaka! She's her! I mean, she's got it, right? It's not just a sports thing, though. I mean, this, is, this applies to all areas of life. Like, my son, my 12-year-old son, big Fortnite kid, right? And so when he gets a victory, Roy, a, a victory royale is the name of it, he'll text me a picture of himself, and he'll say, I'm him! I'm him! I'll hear him screaming from the base, I'm him! It's a lot easier, though, to see it in others than it is to see it in yourself, isn't it? It's always easy to see brilliance and genius in someone else. Most of us are just so hard on ourselves that even when we're doing something good, we can't even really see it. Right? Like, you, like you need someone to come up alongside you and say, oh, you're him. You're her. Like, you got this. You know? Um, for me, when I was in, when I was in high school, um, I got recruited to play on the tennis team at our high school. Now, that sounds like I got recruited. You had to have six players to have a legal team, and they had five. And so a couple of my buddies were just like, hey, we need a six. So I was just there for a good time. I didn't know what I was doing. And so, uh, what, but, but back then, back in the olden days, um, the way they did the state tournament in Kentucky, which is where I'm originally from, they had the worst, th this is crazy. I mean, it's so humiliating. They had the worst statistical, worst record player in the state, in the state tournament, matched up to play the number one seed in the whole tournament, the greatest statistical, best record. In, so you can be proud. Your pastor was the worst statistical, worst record tennis player in the state of Kentucky in 2003. I was him, okay? But this dude just smoked me. He was a sophomore. He wasn't even a senior. He was a sophomore, and he's just wiping the floor with me, just dominating. And if the phrase had been around, I would have walked up to him afterwards and shook his hand and said, you're him, right? You're him. It's a lot easier to see it in someone else than it is to see it in yourself. And so what I want to do today through John 18 and 19 is I want to tell you who you are and who you aren't. And I want you walking out of here today with more confidence, more joy, more gratitude. I want you walking in to say, oh yeah, I'm him, I'm her. I want you to know exactly who you are. And I believe what you're going to see today is you're him. You're him. All right. John 18, we start in verse 28. And um, we are going to read for a little bit for the next like three minutes. Okay. I told you we're preaching for the last 12 hours of the, of the life of Jesus, and so I don't want to skim over this. I know, like, good preacher tactics are, like, just preach one little verse because people will stop paying attention. I believe you all are grown, mature, intelligent adults, and you can pay attention for three minutes. Good? Fantastic. I believe in you. 
um, we are reading the trial of Jesus. It's the trial. Jesus was arrested. We went through that last week. Now he's standing trial before a Roman governor named Pontius Pilate. Jesus has done nothing wrong, but the Jewish leaders and Jewish people want him dead because they, they believe he has claimed to be God, and he has certainly not denied that claim. And so they want him to be dead, and now they, they bring him before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, and that's where we pick up in verse 28. It says, Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. And by now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them, and he asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Why are you involving me? They said, but we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. Now this took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pause for a moment. The Jewish people want him dead, but by, their own, by, by Roman law, they're unable to. If, if Jesus is claiming to be God and he's wrong, it's blaspheme, which is punishable by death under Jewish law, but they, they're, they're not living just under Jewish law. They're living under Roman law, and so they can't execute him. So they have to partner with the Roman government in order to execute Jesus. And so Pilate has to make a decision here. Verse 33, Pilate then went back inside the palace. He summoned Jesus, and he asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and, and chief priests handed you over to me. What, what, what is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. He says, you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Retorted Pilate. Pause for another moment. Jesus is trying to calm his fears here. Everyone believed that Jesus came to start an insurrection, to overthrow the Roman government and install his own government, and for him to be the leader. He says, no, 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 don't worry about that. My kingdom's not of this world. You don't have to sweat that, okay? And he says, in fact, what I came to do is I came to be a witness to the truth. And anyone who sides with me errs on the side of truth. And Pilate is so ignorant. He doesn't know that in this moment he would never be closer to the source of truth in his life. He would never be nearer to pure 100% truth than in this one moment. He says, what is truth? What is truth? And so he doesn't quite know what to do. He's like, this guy seems harmless. He's not here to lead an insurrection. He's not here to overthrow the government. Come on, what, what are we doing here? He, he doesn't think Jesus should be found guilty of something that deserves death. So, so he goes back out and he tries to strike a bargain with him in verse 38. It says, with this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and he said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. There was some sort of deal that had been struck between the Roman government and the Jewish people. Some sort of deal that said that, you know, basically when, when you, uh, to, to, to create goodwill, when you guys celebrate Passover, as a sign that we Romans are, are behind you, we will release one guilty Jewish prisoner to create goodwill between the two. And so he says, surely in this moment you would want me to release Jesus. This man who's really done nothing wrong, he's just saying you should go love people. 
he's really done nothing wrong. Surely you'd want me to satisfy that by releasing him. And they said, no, 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 no. Give us Barabbas. Barabbas, we learn in, in other historical accounts of the life of Jesus, Barabbas was a thief. He was a criminal. He was a known guilty felon. He gave the Jewish people a bad name. And they said, no, 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 no. We don't want the innocent Jesus. Give us the guilty Barabbas. And, and, and Pilate can't believe it. He's, he's just shocked. <laughs> he, 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 he can't make sense of what's happening. And so what he does is he tries in, verse, in chapter 19, verse 1, he tries to find a middle ground that will satisfy the bloodthirst of the Jewish leaders. He says, I'm, I, I want to not kill him because I don't see a reason to, but I have to do something that will satisfy their bloodthirst. And so in chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. A flogging was a brutal beating. I mean, beaten beyond recognition. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and they went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They're mocking him. And they slapped him in the face. And once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. And when Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate thought, surely this will satisfy them. Surely this will satisfy their bloodthirst to see this man humiliated and beaten and mutilated beyond recognition and dressed like a king and mocked and cussed at. And surely this will satisfy them. And as soon as, the chief, as soon as the chief priests and officials saw him, they shouted the two most haunting words of the entire Bible. Crucify. Crucify. We want him dead. Crucify. Crucify the sinless Son of God. And they go back and forth for the next verses. Jesus never defends himself. He never tries to get out of it. He just embraces his punishment because he knew that's what God wanted him to do. And Pilate finally realizes there's no winning here. And if you jump down to verse 16, it concludes by saying, finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. And so the soldiers took charge of Jesus. And this is truly, <clears throat> this is truly the beginning of the greatest tragedy in all of human history. There's never been a more unjust death than the one that is taking place in this account. There's never been a more sad or horrific moment in human history than when the gracious and loving God who created the heavens and the earth, he became a poor carpenter, he lived a perfect sinless life, he had a three-year ministry to teach people to love one another selflessly, to love people sacrificially, to care for the poor and the marginalized, to fear God more than they fear man. I mean, come on, these teachings and this way of life, it's so revolutionary. It's so good for our souls. It truly is the cure to all the societal ailments that we experience today. This perfect, sinless son of God, this good God-man named Jesus, beaten and cursed, mocked and humiliated, and now sentenced to die the death of a common criminal. And you ought to not skip past this right now. You ought to really breathe this moment in. Because the unfortunate reality is that the same wicked, evil, and sinful heart that existed in the Jewish leaders that would cause them to beg for the sinless Son of God to be crucified, that same sinful, evil, wicked heart, it's in you. And it's in me. Our sin is the reason Jesus had to go there in the first place. 
And it's not, it's not just that you were, you know, before Jesus, you were a sinful person. You did things you shouldn't have done. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. The same sinful heart that was in them is still in us right now. Paul, the greatest missionary the world would ever see, starts churches everywhere. He's so holy. He's so good. He says, the thing I want to do, I don't do it. And the thing I know I shouldn't do, I do that. Woe is me. <laughs> and that, that wasn't back before he met Jesus and was murdering Christians. That was after he had been miraculously saved by God, called into ministry, was pastoring people, writing letters to churches. He says, I've still got that sinful heart in me. It was our sinful heart. That landed him on the cross. You ought to not blow past this yet. And it ought to drive us to our knees in just gratitude, in sorrow. Jesus, it's, it, we, we just, we're so sorry. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm not, I'm not anywhere done, near done with the sermon yet, but we're going to pray right now. Jesus, I... We're just so sorry. Jesus, we're just so broken over our sin. And I, and I can't believe we did that to you. I can't believe that you had to do that for us. So God, we, we're not going to let it, we're not going to just breeze by this. God, we open our hearts to you. and we want, we want our hearts to break, not just for the lost people around us, but over what we've done to you. God, we're sorry, and God, we can pray that with such confidence because we know that forgiveness is ours. That for anyone who's placed their faith in you, Jesus, we know we're already forgiven, but it doesn't remove the reality that, God, we're so sorry. And we're so thankful for your grace. God, I, I wish we could take it all back. I wish we had never had, I wish we'd never done any of this to you. And you, you didn't deserve to suffer. You didn't deserve to come down from your high place in heaven and do this for us. But God, I'm just so grateful because I know, I know that you would do it a thousand times over again. I know you would sacrifice for, you love us so dearly. You went to the cross to prove your love for us, that you do anything to reach us. God, let your love right now reach someone's lost heart in this room right now. God, let, let your sacrificial love reach someone who's listening to this online. God, let it pierce our hearts. And God, we're just so grateful. We're just so grateful. Just sit in that for a second. Just sit in the reality of, of what we've done and what he's done for us. If you'd be so bold right now, heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody's looking. If you just want to say, Jesus, I'm so thankful, would you just raise your hand to him right now? Oh, Jesus, we're so thankful. Oh, we're so thankful, Jesus. We're so thankful. God, would you let gratitude just overcome us right now? Lord, we love you, we love you, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray together by saying, amen. I know you're like, man, I thought we were going to leave encouraged. I want you to know who you are. I think that we have this narrative, this historical account of what happened to Jesus for reasons. 
It's not just to see what happened to him. It's also because I think he wants us to see ourselves in this historical account. And I want to tell you who you are and who you're not. Um, growing up, if you were like me, like I, I grew up in the 90s, and so like when we were kids, we used to always play basketball in the, in the driveway, and we'd like try to pretend to be the Bulls, you know? It was like, I'm Jordan, who's Pippen? Like you just don't want to be Tony Kukoc. You just don't want to be Steve Kerr. <laughs> you just want to be Jordan or Pippen. I want to tell you who you are and who you aren't, okay? You aren't Pontius Pilate in this story. Pilate was in the seat of judgment, right? Skeptical, observing the facts, not entirely sure what he believes about any of it. You might be here today and thinking, oh, man, I'm, just, I'm skeptical of church. I'm skeptical of faith. I'm not entirely sure yet. And so you're kind of assessing. I mean, we're so glad you're here, and, and, and you can absolutely belong before you believe. You can ask all your questions. It's a safe place. But let me tell you, you're not him. You're not him in the story. You're not in the seat of the judge. Jesus is always in that seat. You can ask your questions, but at the end of the day, you're not going to have him on trial. He'll have you on trial. He'll have me on trial. That's not how it works. You're not him. You're not the Jewish leaders, the ones who seemed like they had a lot of power, right? It seemed like they had some control. They had some manipulation. They, they could kind of move things around like little, little chess pawns to get their way. And you might think that you're in control of your life. You might think you have some self-sufficiency, some independence. You might think you're in control. You're not him. That's not you. Self-sufficiency, independence, it's an illusion. It's a lie. The, the, the breath you just took right then, that's from God. And he could take it away like that. You're not in control. You're not him. Unless you think <laughs> you're Jesus. <laughs> Let me tell you, you're not him. You might think the whole world's against you. You might think everybody's out to get you. And I'm so glad you're here if you feel that way. But you need to understand, if you identify with Jesus and think the whole world's out to get you, it's a lie of the enemy to convince you to adopt a victim mentality. You have a room full of people in this church right now who love you and support you and will have your back no matter what. Let me tell you, you're not him. <laughs> you're not Jesus. Let me tell you who you are. Go back with me to verse 38. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there, and he said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is, your, it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Barabbas, I came today to tell you, you're him. You're Barabbas. You're the guilty criminal. You know, Barabbas is mentioned by name in all four gospel accounts. Every historical account we have of the life of Jesus, there's only a few people who are mentioned by name in all four. And he's one of them. And he's this seeming nobody. He finds himself on the center stage of the world's greatest and most tragic and most glorious event. And he finds himself mentioned by name in every single gospel account. And I do not believe it is by an accident. I believe it's because God wants you to see in every retelling of Jesus' life that you're him. You're the guilty criminal. I'm the guilty criminal. Oh, it's, it's us. For 
friends, I'm telling you, if heaven were to be, if the heavens opened right now and everybody could just be honest, if, if heaven looked down and said, ooh, we're going to tell them exactly like it is, they would just look down and go, oh, y'all are guilty. There is no doubt about your guilt. There is no doubt about my guilt. Come on, get, get real for a second. Just forget your Sunday best for a second. Forget all that, man. Bear your soul to God right now. Bear your heart open to him. If we all in this room knew the depths of the depraved thoughts, if we all in this room knew the depths of the manipulation and the ways you've tried to control people to get your way, if we all in this room knew the depths of the motives for which you have done good things, so that you can get your way. Oh, if we in this room knew the depths of the things you did 15 years ago, 15 days ago, 15 minutes ago. Oh, if we knew the depth, every single one of us would be guilty. You're him. You're him. And I know you're like, Petey, I thought you wanted me to walk out of here and feel loved. I thought you wanted me to be encouraged. I thought you wanted me to be confident and courageous. And yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I do. And we're going to get there. But it starts with you embracing this part of your identity, the most important thing about you. And it's the same way that when, when, when Barabbas, after this moment, I, I, I want to take some creative liberty here for a second. Because imagine this man, guilty, and then all of a sudden set free. Guilty, and all of a sudden he walks out of jail. And everybody knows that's Barabbas. He's guilty. Everybody knows it. Just imagine how Barabbas would tell his story from, from here on out. Just imagine when Barabbas is in a small group and everybody's like, hey, hey, Barabbas, so glad you joined us today. Why don't you give us a little snapshot of who you are? Or he's out with some buddies drinking and meets a new friend who's like, hey, man, tell me about yourself. Who's Barabbas? I just cannot imagine that after this, he would, he, that, that, that Barabbas would tell his story in any other way. And it's the same way I believe that you and I should tell our stories. It is the most true thing about us. That for Barabbas and for us, his story is our story, and his story, I believe the way, the, the, the way he would share it, is that I'm a guilty man who lives because of an innocent man who died. I'm a guilty man who lives, and I got no explanation for it other than an innocent man who died. You're a guilty man who lives. Because of an innocent man who died. You're a guilty woman who lives because of an innocent man who died. Oh, Lord, let this be, let this be our, our new identity. Let it be the most important thing about us. More than your career accomplishments, more than the kids you raised, more than the person you married, more than your social media following. Oh, let this be your story. At the end of the day, the halls of heaven will be packed and filled with people who've got stories and details and all we'll say is oh we're just a bunch of guilty men and women who lived because an innocent man died that is your story you're him you're him his story is your story let open your heart let that sink in for a second okay this is why this is why uh, sometimes I get sucked into YouTube wormholes or like TikTok Instagram wormholes Anybody else ever like get just like absorbed for 30 minutes? You've scrolled through the same. Nobody else? You're liars. <laughs> the data and the metrics suggest otherwise, okay? <laughs> Money is being made off of you and you can be embarrassed about it all you want, but you're scrolling just like I am, okay? Like, like about a month ago, I got sucked in this YouTube wormhole and it was all these videos of this one guy cold weather camping. 
and like carving tents out of ice and stuff. And I just couldn't stop watching. I'm like, I'm never doing this, but I can't stop watching. <laughs> you get sucked in, right? Um, I get sucked in. One, one of the, the YouTube, Instagram, TikTok wormholes I get sucked into are videos of prison ministry and prison worship. If you've ever seen it, you know how powerful it is. And, and, and if you don't know, there's incredible ministry happening in our country right now in prison. There's whole ministries like God Behind Bars. There's, there's amazing ministries where people are going into prisons and with these incarcerated men and women, they're sharing the gospel, they're giving their lives to Jesus. Incredible ministries happening. And it's so cool because like really what they do in these prison ministries is they just stream like what we put out, right? Like whoever's watching on the other side of that camera, hello, we love you. You basically have the same experience as a prisoner right now. Like they're just streaming the worship and streaming the sermon and they're just watching it. And it's beautiful because God's moving and through technology, the gospel is being shared with people who are, many of them are locked up for life. And I get sucked into these videos where I just watch these prisoners worshiping and, 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 and receiving the gospel and making decisions. And I get, I get so wrapped up in it because I just go, man, we are them. Like, it's so crazy to see the people that go into these prisons to minister and to, to preach and, like, these, these women, men and women are not going to, like, go home after the service. They're going to go back to their cell. But the one who are putting on the service, they're going to go back home to their free life. You have free people and guilty people. You have innocent people and incarcerated people. Their worldly status couldn't be different. But their spiritual status is exactly the same. Guilty men and women who live because of an innocent man who died. And when you see it, when you see it, oh, it just... It makes the truth settle into my heart that I am Barabbas. You are Barabbas. We're all a bunch of modern-day Barabbases. And so what I want to do in this moment is um, I want to flip the, the roles for a second. Okay? We usually are the ones that lead them. And, and we put on our service and they observe it and they're led to Jesus like that. I actually want to switch the roles and I want this truth to settle down into your heart. I want us to be led by them. There was a... There was a great worship album that just came out a couple years ago by Maverick City and Kirk Franklin called Kingdom. And they actually recorded most of it in a prison with prisoners. And so what I want to do right now is I, I, I want us to be led in worship by modern-day Barabbases. A, a prison full of modern-day Barabbases and a church full of modern-day Barabbases. But I want us to be led by them. And so I want you to stand to your feet with me. And I'm going to ask you to do what they do. I'm going to ask you to sing. I'm going to ask you to clap. I'm going to ask you to do whatever the worship leaders tell us to do. To let this truth sink in your heart that we are no different than they are. And let this, let God take this moment and just remind you that we are all guilty men and women who live because of an innocent man who died. Would you go ahead and play that for us? You don't, have to worry. don't you be afraid. And don't you be Joy comes. Joy comes in the morning. Troubles they don't last always. Troubles they don't last always. For there is. For there's a friend in Jesus. Who will wipe your tears. Who will wipe your tears away. And if your heart. And if your heart is broken. Just lift your hands and say. Just lift your hands and say. Come on fellas. Oh. Hallelujah. I know that. 
I don't see nobody high-fiving anybody. He said high-five three people and say it's not over till God says it over. Come on, man. We letting them lead us. It's not over till God says it's over. Come on, man. Let's sing. Let me hear you make some praise. The Holy Ghost noise in here. I know that I can make it. Stay standing, stay standing with me. You're him. You're him. A guilty man who lives, a guilty woman who lives because an innocent man who died for you. That's who you are. But can I give you one more last little ounce? Oh, one more last little detail. This is so important, I'm telling you. God did not do this. He did not craft the historical accounts of the life of Jesus to include this in all four Gospels. And all four Gospels mention Barabbas by his name. He, he, he's called out by name. We don't know the names of the thieves on the cross. We know Barabbas' name over and over and over. And I believe it's because God wants you to see you're him. You're him. You're him. Because the name Barabbas, the name Barabbas, you have to catch this. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Because not only... Not only are you a pardoned prisoner, 
not only are you a pardoned, guilty, but now innocent man because of Jesus. The name Barabbas, Bar-Abbas, it means son of the father. That you are not just a pardoned prisoner, you're an adopted child. That God loves you so much that he wasn't just trying to forgive your sin. He doesn't want, wasn't just trying to get you out of hell. No, no, no. He wanted to wrap his arms around you and say, my daughter, my son, oh, come into my family. Your identity, who you are, is not just that you're forgiven. It's that you are an heir to the throne. You are an heir to Jesus. That God, all good things he has, he doesn't withhold anything good from you because he's your father. You're him. You're Barabbas, son of the father. I love how Paul puts it in Galatians 4. He says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. You are no longer a prisoner. You are no longer a guilty man. No, 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 no. You are God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. You're him. And I don't know what the heck you're supposed to do with that. And I don't even need to know. Let the love of God run wild in your heart. Let the, let the truth of who you really are, let it run wild in your mind. Let it lead you to radical obedience. Let it lead you to radical worship. Let it lead you to tell the rest, let, let, let it lead you to the top of Pike's Peak and shout to the world that I'm a guilty man who lives because of an innocent man who died and I'm a child of God now. Let it lead you. Go do something with it. Don't let, don't let that love go and not take action. And I know for some of you today, you just need to make the decision to give your life to Jesus for the very first time. Some of you need to make a decision to recommit your life. You fought, you, maybe you made a decision a long time ago, but you've walked away from faith, and it's time for you to come back to him. Either way, we want to give you the chance to make that decision. With every head bowed, every eye closed in this room. You don't have to have the Bible memorized. You don't have to have your life cleaned up. You don't have to know all the answers. But if you would say, I've not been a... Jesus follower up to this point. I've never made a decision to start following him. But you want to receive his love and his grace. You, you, you need to know this, like everything we just said, God will not force his grace upon you. He will not force his love upon you. He will not force his freedom upon you. You must receive it. It's for, any who would, for anyone who would receive the gift. And so if you want to become a follower of Jesus today, to put your faith in him, for the very first time, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three as a private decision between you and God. One, two, three. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We see your hands, that's amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Keep your heads bowed and eyes closed, but can we celebrate the life change, the decisions that just happened in the room? It's amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. For those that just made that decision, the entire trajectory of your life can change. From this day forward, you belong to Jesus. You're free. You're a guilty man who lives because an innocent man who died and you now belong to God's family. It's beautiful. For those of you that maybe 
maybe this is, you're coming back to faith, you're coming back to church, and you know you've walked away from him, and you wanna recommit your life to Jesus today, recommit to the narrow path of following him. If that's a decision you wanna make before God, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Hands up all over the room. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray together in this moment. God, would you seal these decisions in our hearts? Would you seal it? Would, would you make sure the enemy doesn't snatch it away? But God, let these decisions result in action. God, let your love transform our behaviors. Let it transform our lives. God, would you speak clearly to us in these, in these next hours, these next days? God, let us reject everything that the devil has on us right now and to just live as loved and free sons and daughters. And God, would you let this love be the thing that lights a fire in our church to keep going, keep going, because more is on the way, God, I can feel it. Because of your love, I know more is on the way. So God, we thank you for what you've done in this room today. Let us leave here knowing who we are because of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray together by saying, amen. Thank you for joining us for this Peak City message today. We're so glad that you were here. If you'd like more information on Peak City Church or information on how to give to the mission here in Colorado Springs, you can visit us at peakcityco.com.